Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. And the message for you this morning is the blessing and importance of obedience. Like, oh great, I came to church to learn how to obey. Obedience is the hardest part of our life, isn't it? Regardless of what or to who, we have a flesh that says, I'm in control. I want to be in charge of my life. I don't want parents to tell me what to do. I don't want bosses to tell me what to do. I don't want the government to tell me what to do. And sadly, even as believers, oftentimes we act like we don't want God to tell us what to do. Obedience. Definition. As a noun, obedience means compliance with an order, request, or law. Drive. On 130, drive on Route 1, drive on the turnpike, and immediately we find out we don't want to be obedient, right? Speed limits. Speed limits. We don't want to comply. You know, Merriam-Webster says it's an act or instance of obeying. The quality or state of being obedient. The word obedient is an adjective, and that means submissive to the restraint or command of authority. there's that word, authority. We don't want authority. We want to be the authority. We know everything. Everybody should just submit to us. But we don't want to submit. We're not willing to obey. And obey itself means to follow the commands or guidance of. To conform to or comply with. As Christians... We are called, you and I are called, to a life of obedience. We're called to obey the commands and the guidance of God. That's what we're called to do. Well, to understand the commands and the guidance of God, and we'll get to that in a minute, we need to use the textbook. This is the textbook on what God says is best for us. So often we settle for good or better when God wants what's best for us. Oh, He'll still bless us when we're seeking to obey Him and we fail because it's not doing perfectly. It's having a heart to do what God wants that's most important. And so obedience, it's generally not something we want to do. It does totally go against our flesh. I know I've prayed a lot of times to God and saying, God, now that I'm saved, can you take my flesh away from me? I don't want to have to deal with the flesh anymore. I'm saved. I'm yours. I came to you of my free will because you called me and I'm yours. Now can you take my flesh because I don't want to battle anymore. And God doesn't take away the flesh. He doesn't tell us that sin is dead. He tells us we're to be dead to sin. Don't miss that. Sin is not dead, so it interferes with our life. If we turn to Genesis chapter 2, between verses 15 and 17, we're going to see the beginning of God's instruction for man, and we're going to 
begin to look at God's commands and the first sin. The first sin, we say oftentimes, well, it was pride, it was, you know, whatever. The real first sin was disobedience. (laughs) Adam, the first Adam, lived a life based upon disobedience. In chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took man, put him in the garden to tend the Garden of Eden, to tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now we know that Adam did not physically die when he ate of the fruit of the tree. But spiritually, he did die. And as a result of that, we live in a fallen condition apart from Jesus Christ. But notice... God's instruction. His instruction was involved by doing what? God spoke to Adam. Don't miss that. God desired a relationship with Adam. And God desires a relationship with you here today. And with us tomorrow, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, And then again next Sunday. Not just Sunday morning when we gather together. God desires a relationship with with us every moment of every day. And He wants to speak to us, but so often we don't hear. We don't listen. We have allowed the cares of this world to choke out what God says is best. We're caught up in the world. You guys have chosen on a Sunday morning to come and worship God and hear the Word and be fed. And that's a good thing. That's the best thing you could do with your time. But many, even of our brothers and sisters, have not chosen to do that this morning. Things of the world have gotten a hold of them. For us, it may not be on Sunday morning that the things of the world get a hold of us. It might be on Monday or it might be on Wednesday or maybe we make it all the way to Friday and maybe Saturday. And then the world gets in the way and we miss what God is saying to us. We miss how God is speaking to us in our lives. We miss what God wants to do. And more importantly, we miss the intimacy of the relationship with God. There was an intimacy with God in Adam that was incredible. And there's an intimacy that was with our Lord Jesus and the Father that He wants us to emulate And one day when we're in heaven, we won't have to worry about any of these things. But today, we need to do that. When we move to chapter 3 of Genesis, we see the fall. And we see what happened with the fall. And that Adam disobeyed God. The first sin was a sin of disobedience. And obedience to God is very important, but we always must see obedience to God through the eyes of grace. Through the eyes of grace. We know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace. Grace is incredible. Grace is amazing. If it weren't for grace, we all would be doomed. 
It's because of God's grace that we can have that relationship with Him again. And out of that grace, God has called us to learn to be obedient children. We know you've been taught, you've been taught well, that we don't work to be saved. But oftentimes in our lives, we get the mentality that grace means that what we do, think, or say does not matter to God. Oh, don't allow yourselves to fall into that trap. That's a trap of the enemy who wants to keep you from having what's best in a relationship with an Almighty God. See, what we do, what we think, what we say, what's in our heart is important to God. Obedience is important to God. He's established that for us. And the reason He speaks to us is that we might listen, hear, and obey that we would be walking in His perfect will. And there's nothing better than being in the perfect will of God. The perfect will of God is where He wants us. And so, though we know it's not about works, you know, the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Romans speaks very, very much about Israel and what their problem was with God. In chapters 9 through 11, in particular, he deals with both the church and Israel. And he deals with Israel's problem. And their problem that he tells us in chapter 9, verse 30, is that they did not seek righteousness by faith, but through the works of the law. Now you're probably sitting there, and if you're really paying attention, you're saying, Ed, isn't that a contradiction? You're saying what we do is so important, your work is so important, but Israel was being judged by God because they sought righteousness through works and not through faith. It's interesting. If we look, because oftentimes we have the misperception. We have the misperception that grace is New Testament. Judgment is Old Testament. There's as much grace in the Old Testament, and there's probably more judgment in the New Testament that we really want to deal with. Let's think about Israel for a minute. Let's think about the history of Israel and God's beginning of moving with them and even the giving of the law. You probably all remember, you know the story. Israel had been in bondage for 400 years in in Egypt. They were slaves to the world. God wanted to set His people free. And He called upon Moses, who was a reluctant servant. Every time God told him Moses what to do, Moses said, I can't do that. God said, you're going to speak. Moses said, I can't speak. God said, I'll give you the words to say. I'll put them in your mouth. And Moses still said, get someone else. And God said, okay, I'll send you your brother Aaron. If you read through the Bible... It seems that Aaron has very little to say to Pharaoh. It's Moses who speaks. God does get his way. God used Moses. And he used Moses to confront Pharaoh, the lead authority in the world at the time, who was holding back the people, the children of God, from being what God wanted them to be. And he used Moses to go to Pharaoh. And he did 
the plagues. You know, there were ten of them. And I'm not going to go through all ten, but the tenth one was what? Was the death of the firstborn. And on the evening of the death of the firstborn was the Passover. The Passover came. The Passover was given by the instruction of God and Israel and even some of Egypt who obeyed were told what to do. They were told, obey this and the angel of death will pass over your house. The angel of death would not affect your firstborn. What did they need to do? They needed to slay a lamb and take the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lentil. And the angel of death passed over those houses that were obedient. And as a result, Israel was set free. Freedom from slavery, from bondage to the world, came at the Passover. When did the law come? The law came 50 days later. There was no law when God gave Israel freedom. God's grace set them free. Obedience to the law was not a condition of freedom. Same thing's true for us today. Obedience is not the condition for freedom. Freedom precedes the law. So then why was the law important? Israel celebrates the giving of the law with the Feast of Weeks. Seven Sabbaths and one day after the Passover. After freedom came the law. And they celebrate that. We celebrate that day as Pentecost. The birth of the church. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the church. But for Israel, they celebrate that God gave the law. It came afterwards. So what is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to instruct God's children who had already been set free how they were to live their lives. What was best for them? The law was intended to tell them what is best because they've been set free. Freedom came first, then the law. So grace is our freedom. But now the word of God becomes our law. Not to be saved, but to live as saved people in a world who needs to know God. That's grace. That's God's grace. It was God's grace with Israel. It's God's grace for us today as the church. It's important to God. God gave the law through Moses as a manual for living. That law got recorded. The word of God has been given to us. So it's clear that obedience is important to God. The first Adam, I've already told you, was disobedient. The second Adam, Jesus our Christ, was obedient. Adam disobedient, Jesus obedient. You know, Romans 5.19 tells us, For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Our Lord Jesus is a wonderful example for us. And oftentimes, we forget that what He modeled, He wants us to live. 
we look and we classify our Lord. Oh, He's way up here. (laughs) We can never live like Him. Well, in our flesh, we can't. But in the Spirit, He said, you not only will do the things I do, but you'll do more of the things that I do. We think, and we love to say, and it is true, but let's not allow it to become an excuse in our life. You know, we like to say, God's not finished with me yet. He's not finished with you yet. He's not finished with me yet. He's not finished with any of us yet. But that doesn't give me an excuse to not follow the will and the ways of my Lord. Don't allow it to become a crutch. Don't allow that to become a hindrance to you being all that God wants you to be. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, we're told, though He, Jesus, was a son Yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of salvation to all who obey him. Our Lord Jesus, in his humanity, had to learn obedience. How did he learn obedience? By being in constant communication with his Father in heaven. And going through and doing what the will of the Father was. Not being concerned with His own desires. Oh, He did one time have a prayer that was rejected by the Father. When He said, If there be another way, let this cup pass from Me. And immediately He said, But nevertheless, not My will, but Thy will be done. That's the only prayer of Jesus the Father did not answer by taking away the cup because there was no other way. And so He learned obedience so we from Him can learn obedience. As we look at Him, as we look at the saints, that great cloud of witnesses that we're told of, both those who were recorded in the Scriptures and those whose lives we read, whether it be biographies of, of the saints of old. and Remember, you as a believer, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a saint. That's how the Bible defines saints. As those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to run around doing miracles. You don't have to have so many major and so many minors. No, you're a saint in the eyes of God. And He wants us to live as saints. As we look at the life of Jesus, and I know you've looked at that. I know you've been taught that. You know, you've got wonderful pastors here who teach the Word of God, who aren't compromising the Word of God. Be thankful because that's not true in a large part of the church today. The Word of God is being compromised everywhere based upon feelings and not truth. And so, as we look at the life of our Lord Jesus, as you study the life of our Lord Jesus, and do study it, please don't let your pastors be your only teachers. Let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit teach you day in and day out who our God is. And when you look at the life of our Lord Jesus, we learn the true secret. We learn the secret of true obedience. You know, we love... Book titles, the secret, the ten secrets to whatever. You know, 
And we all want to read it. What are the ten secrets? You know what the secret of true obedience to God is? A close and unmistakable relationship with Him. The closer you are to God, the closer your relationship to God, the more obedient you will be. All of our own attempts at obedience will fall apart separate from intimacy with God. Without intimacy with God, you cannot be obedient to Him. Jesus taught us that. Jesus taught us the importance of intimacy. Uh, Jesus was obedient even to death, the death on the cross, to bring us eternal salvation. If we look at our work of obedience, we can look at John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29, in which they said to Him, to Jesus, they came to Jesus and asked Him a question. I love when they ask Jesus questions because we learn stuff for ourselves. And their question was, what shall we do to work the works of God? People ask that question in many different ways. What do I have to do to, to, to obtain eternal life? What do I have to do to please God? What do I need to do to be right with God? That's what this question is. What must I do to work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. You want to do a work? Believe in the Lord Jesus. <laughs> Let believing in the Lord Jesus be your work from which you move forward. It's the very essence of salvation to God. Jesus learned obedience. Today, as we think about learning, we think about school naturally. You know? And there's three aspects of a school that we would consider. We look at the teacher, we look at the textbook, and we look at the students. And that's what we need to do for ourselves. We need to look at our teacher. Our teacher is Jesus. I may teach you, but Jesus needs to be your teacher. If Jesus is not your teacher, you're going to fall short. Jesus is our teacher through the Holy Spirit. But He is our teacher and He learned obedience. The power of true obedience is seen in Jesus Himself. What was the center of Jesus' life? wasn't what He did for people. It wasn't the healings. It wasn't the miracles. It wasn't the feeding. It wasn't all of the things that He did. The center of Jesus' life was His relationship with the Father. In fact, Jesus said He did not do anything that He did not see or hear from the Father. He said, everything I do, I've seen the Father do. Everything I do, I've heard the Father do. He did nothing apart from the Father. Therefore, our obedience needs to be a constant dependence, moment by moment, second by second, not once a week, but daily throughout the day, a dependence upon fellowship with God. Seeing and hearing what He says. Seeing and hearing what He says. And when we see and hear what He says, then our instruction is to go and do 
likewise. Do what the Father has told us to do. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 23 says, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Obey my voice, God says. Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8. And we'll look at this in two aspects here, but it's a, it's a familiar verse probably. Let this mind be in, in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. What a wonderful model. It's the model we try to follow in the church. It's the model we try to show even in leadership. You know, a key phrase we talk about is servant leader. Jesus was a a servant leader. He led by serving and showing as an example how to lead. You know, though He was God, He didn't claim His Godness as He walked this earth as a man. There's a lot of things I don't understand. I don't understand electricity. I know if you flip the wall switch, the lights come on. If they don't, I know there's a problem with the electricity. You know? I know if I touch a live wire, I will get zapped. And I have been zapped. But I don't understand electricity. But because I don't understand electricity doesn't mean I don't believe it. There are many things in the Bible I don't understand. I don't understand how Jesus could be both God, fully God, and fully man. But the Bible teaches He is fully God and fully man. And it tells us in His humanity, He surrendered with respect to Himself His rights as God. But understand this about God. The Bible teaches Father, Son, and Spirit. The only difference between the Father, Son, and the Spirit is in roles, not in essence, not in nature. Jesus is equal to the Father as God. The Holy Spirit is equal to the Father and the Son as God. By definition, that must be true. If Jesus is lacking any aspect of Godness that the Father has, by definition, He can't be God. If the Spirit is lacking any essence, nature, quality of God that the Father or the Son has, by definition, He can't be God. So we know in the Godness, Father, Son, and Spirit are equal. They chose to reveal themselves in different roles with submission. In His role as the Son and the Savior, Jesus chose to be submissive to the Father. Only in His role, not in His nature. Don't forget that. Oftentimes we think, well, there's God and then there's Jesus and then there's the Holy Spirit and then there's us. No, there's God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Equal. And then there's us. And so... Jesus, as our teacher, chose to show us how to live by Himself becoming obedient and saying, I'll die for you. 
In fact, it's interesting when you read the Scriptures, we realize that Jesus gave up His glory when He came as man and was born of a virgin and went to the cross and died for us. But do you realize He gave up His glory a second time for us? The Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, towards the end of His ministry, at a time when not long after that, He would be saying, if there be another way, take this cup. Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and was glorified. He was in all His glory again. In all of His nature and His essence. You know, Peter was so stunned not knowing what to say. He says, let's build some houses for you guys. This is great. I don't ever want this to go. And the next thing you know, the glory had departed again. He gave up His glory a second time before going to the cross so that we could live a life in glory. (laughs) Do you realize what that means? Do you realize what that means for you? Understand who you are this morning if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The world wants you to believe your identity is based upon what you do. Your role. Your identity as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is not based upon what you do, not your role, not even within the church what your role is. Your identity is a child of God. To those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, He has given the right to be called the children of God. Do you think about that during the week? Oh, please do. Please do. Please don't miss who you are. If you realize you're a child of God, what does a child want to do? A child wants to be with the parents. A child wants to learn from the parents. A child wants the parents' attention. Jesus called us to be childlike. Not childish. There's a difference. He called us to be childlike in our relationship with the Father. And to realize who we are so that as we go through life looking at our teacher Jesus as our model, as our example, we can become like Him. Being obedient. Where do you hear most from God? This right here. Oh, He'll speak to your heart. He'll speak to your conference, to your conscience. But nothing will ever contradict what is in this Word. This Bible, this book, does not contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Every jot and tittle from Genesis 1 through the end of Revelation is the truly inspired, inerrant Word of God. If you neglect that truth, you will be swayed by every wind and doctrine that blows even through the church. The test of everything is not what we feel. (laughs) We'd like it to be that, wouldn't we? (laughs) But it's not. The test of everything is the truth of the Word of God. Jesus is our teacher. The Bible is our textbook. Jesus lived His life 
setting an example for us using the Word of God as it existed at Jesus' day. The Word of God that existed at Jesus' day was the Law, the Prophets, and the Old Testament writings. Over and over, when you read through the Gospels, and if you have a red-letter Bible that identifies Jesus, and I know they make a few mistakes here and there, they forgot to read, and they read some things that aren't, but overall, you know, you read the red letters, Don't miss what's in between the red letters because that's important as well. But if we look at the red letters, if we look at what Jesus said, you would be amazed. You would be, it would probably blow your mind to sit and count. I never did because it's just an overwhelming number. How many times Jesus would say, it is written or as the scriptures have said. What is he doing? He's going back to the textbook. Every time he says it is written, or every time he says, as the Scripture says, what he's saying is, this is rooted and grounded in the Word of God. The reason for this is because it's in the Word of God. If it's not in the Word of God, don't take it, we use that phrase as gospel. But the textbook is what Jesus used. He spoke of it with respect respect to himself think about that great bible study oh i wish there was a video recording of that trip after the resurrection with the two disciples on the road to emmaus don't you wish you had that bible study you can get great bible studies on online you can you know get great teachings from lots of good pastors But if there's one study I would ever want to see, to hear, it's as Jesus walked on that Emmaus road, and in Luke 24, verse 27, it says these words, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Wow! Talk about a Bible study! Jesus, walking with them. They don't even know it's Jesus. They probably weren't even paying as much attention as they should have because they didn't know it was Jesus. It's probably why we don't have some of the words recorded that He said along that way. We just have a general statement. But here it is, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, in His glorified body, walking with disciples, and using the Bible, all of the Bible, to tell them about Himself. If Jesus says the Old Testament speaks of Him, I think we should pay a lot of attention to the Old Testament. I think we should be listening to it. I think we should understand it. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Is there anything missing? There isn't anything missing in that. That covers the gamut of life and what's important. And he says that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Oh, how do I obey? obey? Soak in. Absorb. Let the Word of God become real to you. He said in Jeremiah to the prophet, God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah in the beginning as he was calling Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was like, oh man, I can't do this. It's a a sign of a true prophet. One who says, Lord, this is above me. 
And then God says, don't worry, I got this. You're just the vessel. I got this. But he says to Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 9, the words say, the Lord put forth, this is Jeremiah's words, the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Is the book of Jeremiah totally inspired, given by God, who said, Jeremiah, I put the words in your mouth, you speak them, write them down. That's true of the entire Bible. God used men as His vessels. But He put the words in their mouth. The textbook is important. And when we seek to follow our teacher Jesus and learn from His textbook, the Bible, in the power of His Holy Spirit, we can understand it. Oh, it doesn't mean we're going to understand everything. We know an awful lot of things without understanding it all. But the only way to understand it is to study it. To put it in. If you don't put it in, it's tough to get it out. It's tough to live it. You want to know who our God is? Read His Word. And the more you learn to know our God, the more you'll want to follow Him and obey Him. I'll guarantee that. I don't guarantee very many things in life. But if you seek honestly, every time I open the Word of God to read it, to study it, to have it affect my life, I say a simple prayer before I do. And I say, God, Your Spirit has to make this come alive to me because I can't do anything with it. And it puts me in the frame of being able to to receive what God has. Now, you don't have to say that exact prayer, but you've got to have that heart that says, God, you need to make this come alive. And you will. And as we do take the Word of God into our hearts, and it transforms us from the inside out, we will find ourselves being more obedient. Because the Father will work through His Holy Spirit for His will to be done. We looked at teacher, we looked at textbook, finally students. That's you and me. And I know I've talked about us a lot as we looked at the others and how we can put this to to practice. But the reality is, as a student of God, it begins with submission. We sang a song this morning. I lift my hands. You know what lifting of hands is? It's the universal sign internationally, no matter where, of surrender. When you sing words that say, I lift my hands, when you lift your hands to God, are you surrendering? Are you surrendering to Him? Because that's what you're saying you're doing, but we need to surrender. Give up our flesh, our will. I found in life my flesh and will don't usually have my best interest at heart. They usually don't. They want to take me down a path that is not what's best. We need, as His children, to desire Him every moment of every day. We believe those words, don't we? You believe these words. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you believe them? I hope you do. They're true. 
but do we live believing that He'll never leave us? How many times in the past week have you or I said, God, where are you? (laughs) God, I don't see you doing what I want. And that's usually what it revolves around. You're not doing what I want, God, so you must have left. And God, usually eventually when I listen, is saying to me, Ed, the one who's not doing what's wanted is you. Because what I want is more important than what you want. Because what I want of you is what's best. And so as students, we need to obey. We need to follow. We need to listen. I read Philippians 2, 5-8. through 8. Kind of talked about Jesus' part. And oftentimes, that's what messages on Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8 through 8 center on. It doesn't center on the first part of that. The first part of Philippians 2, 5 says... Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. We quickly jump to, oh, look what Jesus did. Look what Jesus did. But that was written to the church in Philippi as an exhortation, instruction, command that they were to do the same thing. That wasn't a teaching about what Jesus did. That was an exhortation about what we're to do. And the instruction is, let the mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And that's possible. Peter, in his first letter, chapter 1, says, Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. As obedient children. Live as Christ did, he's telling us. He also tells us in Peter that judgment will begin with the house of God for not being obedient. See, our obedience is important, not just for us, but for a world that's out there looking at you. Do people know you're Christian? I mean, do they know you're really a Christian? Not Christian because you're not Muslim or Jewish. Many people think they're Christian because they're not Muslim or Jewish. They're not Christians. You're Christians because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you follow Him. Do many people know you're Christians? Do you know why you were saved? I don't know how many of you in here, and I'm not going to do a show of hands right now, I don't know how many of you in here you know, come from a Jewish background. I'm a Gentile. I come from a Gentile background, as far as we know. I don't know that there was any Jewish... You know, Obviously, we go back to, to Noah and Adam, and we're all related. But I mean, I wasn't part of the 12 tribes, as far as we know. Romans chapter 11, verse 11. Speaking of Israel and the Gentiles, Paul says, I say then... Have they, Israel, stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Do you know what our salvation is supposed to result in? Living lives that people look at you and say, man, I want a relationship with their God. I am jealous. They got a real God. They don't have a fake God. They got a real God. Our salvation was to cause the Jews, and I believe Gentiles as well, to become jealous of the relationship that we have with God. God desires obedience over sacrifice. We saw that in the story of King Saul. I want you to just listen to a couple of Scriptures and then I'll close from Jesus in John's Gospel. John 13.35 
By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he, keep, he will keep my word. John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Those are the words of our Lord Jesus. Those are not just some made-up philosophy. Those are the words of our Lord Jesus. He learned obedience through suffering so that we could be blessed. What is our blessing of Jesus' suffering? Verse 9 of that chapter in Hebrews, chapter 5 says, He became the author of salvation to all who believe Him. The blessing of Jesus' obedience is salvation is available to those who believe in Him. That's the blessing. The blessing of obedience. Oftentimes I feel like, God, you're not really blessing me. You know, everybody else seems to be getting ahead in the job, God. I'm working the hardest. I read a story of a woman who was started out as a, as a, as a secretary for a, a man who rose to the top of the corporate la- ladder. And every way, step along the way, she went with him. She was the one that gave him all the ideas on what would work. When the company got bought out, he got a great retirement package. She got let go with nothing. The company fell apart. They couldn't figure out what they needed. She tried to offer, and they rejected. She was just a lowly secretary. What did she have to offer? Isn't that sometimes what we feel like in life? It's just not fair. And as a result, we look at God and say, where am I in all of this? And God is saying, I've blessed you. You are my child. You have eternal salvation. The blessing of Jesus' obedience is eternal salvation. The blessing that we're to give is to live in obedience to God to make the world jealous. Obedience that results from having received His gift of grace. Not obedience hoping for grace, but obedience that comes from grace. Obedience as the children of God who love their Father. And I pray that you will leave here loving Jesus more and desiring a greater relationship with Him that you might live obediently, that the world will become jealous and come to know our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. 
We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. Let's turn around.